Well, hello, g'day everyone. This is Life in the Peloton. I'm your host, Mitch Stocker, and it's a new year, and that means, yes, new pods. Exciting stuff is happening. First, I want to announce our new partnership here at Life in the Peloton with MAP. This is bloody exciting. I'm thrilled we could come together to keep telling these cycling stories. MAP is an exciting brand right out of my hometown of Melbourne. The cycling, the style, capital of the world, the coolest city in the world. That's what makes this partnership very, very cool. We're going to be working together to keep bringing you stories, adventures, and all the stuff you love here at Life in the Peloton. Well, if you're new to the podcast, a big welcome, or if you just want to know what we're doing this year at Life in the Peloton, we have a huge season of pods coming. We'll be chatting to the riders all over the world in our original Life in the Peloton series, exploring all the Pelotons out there from world tour to the gravel to mountain bike or just your local bunchy. As you know from the last couple of years, since I retired as a pro, there has been so much to explore out there and sometimes coming on the road with me. So we're going to continue exploring these stories. Talking Luft is back, a really fun, short, sharp, DVDs, extras, feel style of podcast where I'll be chatting to guests about style, culture, food, coffee, booze, bikes, whatever. Just having a bit of fun, finding a little bit more out about our guests in a really light-hearted way. And then, of course, we've got our brand new series launched last year, The Race Communique. This is a once-a-month wrap-up of what's going on in my old world, World Tour Racing. Chatting with special guest host, EF Sports Director Tom Southern and Jaco Alula rider Luke Durbridge. In this series, we're going to unpack some racing news, some pillow talk, and chat about the trends and rumors and try and understand and keep up to date what's going on in that crazy world of world tour cycling. But first off the bat, this year with Life in the Peloton, we've got an adventure story. Yep, I did it again. I'm over here at Tour Down Under for the start of the world tour cycling calendar. And of course, what a better way to get here than by bike. You may have heard my journey across last year from Ballarat, the rat, to Adelaide, the rat to Adelaide, I did with five others. But this time, it's a little different. I still had the same theme. I always want to explore new areas, go to places I've never been before, and ride new roads. I didn't have quite as much time this year, or maybe it was just because I wanted to test my limits a little bit more. Whatever it was, I decided to trek across in three days. Three very long days. But I didn't go on my own. I'm not that crazy. I've recently connected with an old mate since coming back to Melbourne, a guy called Pat Drabak. Pat and I started racing out together as youngsters, same club, same scene. He's a little bit younger than me, so we never really had to go head to head. But as you can hear from his name, Drapak, his father, Michael Drapak, started a team which we both raced on before I made the jump to Europe. There's a lot more to Pat than just racing bikes. His love for riding is undeniable. But his story with the bike has a lot of twists and turns and it's quite inspiring when it comes back to just the simple passion of riding a bike. Day one, we headed out from the map lab right in centre of Melbourne and we trekked across 260k to a place called St Anu. The second day we went for 300k across the flatlands to a place called Keith and the last day we rolled 310k into Adelaide, hitting the Adelaide Hills to finish us right off. The route was a tough one. My goal this year was to make a beeline from Melbourne to Adelaide. So I drew a straight line across and I accepted that we'd take on whatever terrain it threw at us. It was a mixed bag to say the least, with the only real goal being to avoid main rows and make sure the stops had a decent pub. What I wanted from this trip was this solitude time. 
out for hours on end pedaling. It was a physical challenge, sure, but it was a time away from my normal day-to-day life schedule, a little chance to reset as this new year begins. Have someone out there with me I could ask those questions to, listen to what they had to say, and then have a little think. That's what this trip was about. Well, for me anyway, and Pat was that guy. On the road, we packed it. AG1. And that was a great way to start each morning. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why, for the last three years, I've been drinking AG1 every day. No exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed with water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel really good. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers a daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and lots more. It's a powerful, healthy daily habit, and it's also very simple. We were leaving early in the morning at 5.30, nothing was open. So what we were doing is having AG1, a coffee, and then hitting the road and clocking about 50 to 60 kilometers before stopping and having something to eat. It wasn't really about trying to fast or anything. It was about convenience of the trip, really. But what I noticed was, not only from this trip, but since I've been using AG1, is it gives me a much more balanced energy level when starting the day like this. I don't really feel like I need to have anything to eat for the first few hours of my day after having AG1. And then it's the roll-on effect. I'm not searching for little tidbits of food throughout my day between my meals. It's allowing my body to start the day slowly without cramming food first thing in the morning. And the best thing, it's absorbing all those nutrients that AG1 gives me. I got Pat on board too. He was having trouble with his bowel moons because he's a chef these days. And working all night, he gets up later in the day. Like I said, we're on the road about 5.30 in the morning his body didn't know what was going on. And after day one, he desperately needed to get regular bowel movements going again. And I said, mate, give this AG1 a try tomorrow. And it really helped him get things back on track. If there's one product I recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership in your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash life in the peloton. That's drinkag1.com slash life in the peloton and check that out, guys. Just before we get to this episode, we put something together over the break and it's called The Pillow, the life in the peloton club. Our very own membership. I've been wanting to do something like this for years now for a few reasons. I've really wanted to be able to give something extra to you guys for listening. Now, I've gone away and I've created a brand new series with my old friend, Swain Tuft. Swain is one of the best people you can listen to. I absolutely love chatting with him. We were very close when we both lived in Europe, but since retiring and parting ways, we don't chat as much as I'd like to. I was thinking we need to do something together again. In Europe, we're always chatting in depth about different topics, adventuring, nutrition, what's going on in that crazy world of cycling. And so that's what we're doing. We're bringing the Pelo members a brand new series, The Life in the Peloton Chronicles with Swain Tuft. Him and I are going to be chatting to lots of different people, lots of different guests, learning what's going on and then discussing in a long format what we feel about each topic. Our first episode will be coming to you next Friday, the 26th of January about making it to World Tour. It's a topic both Swain and I were wondering about. How do these kids make it to the big leagues now? We couldn't even quite understand how we ever made it, how we made that step back in the day. But that's years ago. 
Things have changed so much now recently. So what does it take now? And what are these teams looking for? We dive deep into this topic, speaking to writers, teams, scouts, what it takes, and then discussing what we feel about this fast-changing sport of cycling. There's two tiers in the Peloton membership, the Echelon and the Doomline. Go across to Life in the Peloton and check out the Pelo. There's lots more to read about. There's an exclusive Pelo kit made by our partners, Map, and exclusive partner brand discounts to tap into as well. Plus, there's a load of other stuff. Get in quick for your very own Pelo membership number. I'd love to have you guys on board our very new club. Now, guys, that's a lot. I've held you up long enough. Great to be back up and rolling. A massive, massive 2024. We'll get you on the road for our journey with Pat across to Adelaide. The map to Rad, Melbourne to Adelaide. Sit back and enjoy. We're here down at the map lab. We're here with Pat Drapak, mate. How are you feeling? Uh, ready, nervous, excited, a lot, lot of things. But yeah, just uh, just trying to feel out the sensations at the moment. But um, yeah, I sort of had such a, a funny little sleep, you know, in in anticipation. But um, yeah, really excited. Why? What was what's so funny about it? Uh, when I say funny, probably just like yeah, nervous. You know that that sort of like. You got to wake up early. You got a big, got a big thing on the horizon. Um, I just was like, you know, probably a bit nervous to be completely honest with you. So, um, but but mostly excited. Oh, here's his coffee. Yeah. We're starting, like I said, we're starting in the middle of Melbourne at the Map Lab to celebrate our new partnership and I guess adventures. Sort of starting here across to Adelaide. What, what would you be nervous about? Why would you possibly be nervous about this? Mm, that's a good question. I just now 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 that you said that, I'm like I'm. It really is. You've eased those nerves. <laughs> yeah. So, and I have the coffee in the hand. So now I'm like, I'm good. I'm, I'm I think, uh, Quattro Ristretto. Yeah, Quattro, Quad Shot, as we call it. Uh, Four Shot Espresso. Um, you know, the other thing is like, yeah, what a, what a cool opportunity to go, to go see some, some new places and to go for a big bike ride. Like, you know, that's, that's like really sick. Not many people get that chance. So, so he says oh, now. Well, once we get out in the road, we're going to have a chat. We're going to find out a little bit more who Paddy is, um, get some Ks in our legs, and I guess listen to the struggles along the way. Mm. We've got a crew with us. We've got about what, eight people with, to roll out with us. Just enough. A few good, few good, you know, a few good sits there, I reckon. So we'll we'll have to figure out how we're going to roll those turns. Um, yeah, we, you know, may as well get a bit of a, a leap ahead. But yeah, we got a, we got a bit of a turnout. Um, I guess unsurprising yeah there is some there are some keen beans from all over melbourne here actually so and you're and you're old man you can hear him in the background yeah, Six, yeah. <laughs> 6.35 i said we'll roll at 6 so let's get going cool all right looking forward to it we're here in very close proximity to land vegas we're in newham up in the Maston Ranges, and it's been a tough start, actually. We're four hours in, 88 k's, so we've been, haven't been flying along, been headwind and pretty tough riding. Pat, it's good to be away, isn't it? Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, look, the stats aren't pretty, but the riding has been really lovely. Uh, your, your neck of the woods here, we went through the Capital City Trail and um, just some lovely... Look, we, we were on pretty technical little circuits, bike path, etc. But yeah, really nice day. Um, what, mid-20s? 
that where we are right now kind of um, gives me some flashbacks from old Northern Combine road races that we used to do. We are on the corner just before the sprint. And I just remember completely butchering the sprint last time I raced here. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, lovely day. What about the crew that we're with? We, uh, we're down to two. We did have three. We had Damien. He might pop still around, but once we got to the hills, we sort of lost our crew, didn't we? Yeah, we had, um, we had what, maybe close to 10 of us leave MAP this morning. Um, and then one Lone Ranger, Damo, who is somewhere out on the road. <laughs> we, we, uh, we hope he makes it here because um, he was planning to, to ride with us to Castle Maine. But yeah, it was nice. It was, it was like a, you know, a bit of a, a community to, and, and crew to sort of start the, start the journey. Um, but yeah, Damo, who we thought had a puncher up the, the last climb, he was actually just <laughs> having a rest on the side of the front. <laughs> what are you thinking? Because look, I'm, I'm, th- I'm thinking, I'm sort of rethinking things a bit at the moment. I'm like, uh-oh, this is already looking tough. This is 90K in, back's a bit sore, legs are a bit, you know. I don't know, what are your thoughts now? Look, I'm trying to block them out, but I think if you really want to put some thought to it, yeah, it's going to be a long, long ass day. On this trajectory, maybe like, 14 hours of riding and we have to factor in some you know some uh, some recovery and some stops so i'm trying to be optimistic at the moment stay positive the morale's pretty high but yeah maybe maybe the next checkpoint i might have a i might change my tune but yeah for now all systems go let's do it well i've got also liddy here's come to save the day my wife and my two kids are here liddy first time on the pod Gave you a phone call last night, didn't you? Didn't I? Wasn't to say uh, how you're going or anything. What was it for? All the things that you'd forgotten, like the podcast gear, shorts, Akubra, you know, all the essentials. So you've come to rescue us, but this is it. This is really goodbye now, isn't it? This is it. Yeah. This is it for a few days. So good luck on the journey. We'll miss you. I'll miss you guys too. Thanks for coming out. All right, let's get going. <laughs> All right, we have just finished lunch at Grist Artesian Bakery here in Tewton, just outside of Castlemaine. Actually, you know, blow my own whistle here. It's been a pretty nice route so far. Paddy? Mm. You've done a great job. Um, I feel like we haven't had to deal with much traffic and like things have been, I don't know, we've been ticking along. We sound good now, but I tell you, I needed a minute. Wheels started to fall off for me about 10k ago. I think I've gone too deep and I've come in too fresh. We did speak about this, the freshness. Yeah. I need today to train and we've still got, let me have a look here, 118 to go. Thoughts? Yeah, the, look, I think we were both hoping that the the freshness would ca- oh, yeah, you'll find them. <laughs> and if you could see my nicks right now i have uh i could i could salt your steak it's like deceptively hot though hey and look i'm i'm telling myself i'm okay but like i'm looking at my the salt on my back and my nicks and like that's it's pretty full on so but yeah you're trying to tell me that we've got it all downhill until the on the map it looks it looks nicely downhill this doesn't look uphill but there's a few sharp kickers we've got a headwind where the gods are being kind but they're still letting us know they're about i guess it's just those exposed 
sectors that, that really feel it you really feel it but we lost Damo that's another you know another plot twist um, <laughs> it's you and I mate all the way <laughs> just just you and I um, no I th- I, I'm really looking forward to having a nice shower at the other end let's do it we got Dooley in about 60 clicks 60 70 clicks we're gonna drink there and then we'll smash it on in ouch that hurt uh, we're at Denali about 60 to go I guess that makes it 200k mark mate we sort of had a nice trail there out of Castlemaine to Malden but then Malden to here just got a bit grippy didn't it I think it just started to that last sort of 15k it was a false flat cross head you know just the kind of thing that you like you don't want edging towards the 200 but we were sort of chatting away until that point and then decided to to roll a few, a few turns, a few death turns, a few death turns, five minutes, approx. <laughs> See what the old gravel bikes you notice them on the road, so yeah. Oh yeah, there's like, I mean, coming off a, you know, the the SL7, which is just a rocket ship. Yeah, I'll never take that for granted. The thing is, the thing is, yeah, the thing is, we needed the gravel bikes. There was like a lot of gravel today, and I almost made the the uh, poor decision of putting slick tires on to to get every advantage but i'm so glad i didn't i think likewise you i'm man i'm head to toe in dirt mud salt sweat tears <laughs> i think it's like mentally you know when that we're home stretch right i don't know 60 to go yeah All right, Pat, we made it, mate. All the way to St. Arnoud. St. Arnoud? Actually, St. Arnoud. Maybe I'm not saying that right. How do you say it? I think St. Arnoud sounds pretty good, actually. (laughs) Well, it's 266K away from the map lab. It took us 10 hours, just over, 10 hours 10. We chipped along pretty well, 26K an hour average. Took us 13 hours total, so we had a few stops, you know, a few little hiccups, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, I th- hiccups. I thought I thought we did pretty well with the stops. Like I thought we limited the 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 stoppage time to 15, 20 minutes, but we obviously didn't. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> we made it, and yeah, it's uh, we're just wa- walking down the street to get some dinner pretty pretty gingerly i guess <laughs> it does feel good to walk and i'm loving the fact that we're about to have a draft beer something i look forward to every day after these adventures we've well, got a bit of a, a hoot hoot a hoot hoot yeah so i must know that the big boys are in town <laughs> from the big bike packing trip look man i don't I think they, were, they were pretty young <laughs> fans of the, of the sport um mate give me a quick highlight and low light from the day my low light was probably I asked you a question if there was 4k of the route we could have taken out <laughs> what would the 4k be you know if someone just said to you hey mm. instantly now you can be 4k in front of where you are it was that bit when we're on the highway slight gradual uphill headwind and we're chopping off I was like could have done without that that's my low light I agree that, that was probably the moment I realised that that could be the, the reality for the next 700k <laughs> I was like oh sh- okay we're, we're th- th- this is the right this is the right this is what's happening but it was nice to understand who was boss out there you know we had to have a bit of a 
you know, to make sure we knew who was in control, and clearly you were. I was squirmishing behind you. You didn't know that, but I was I was hanging on from grim death. I was also pretty boxed in front, and I thought, like, oh, he's, he's probably judging me for, you know, pulling a real soft turn here. <laughs> but it was, like, a real difficult stretch, you know, at that point of the ride... I think we still had like, you know, 70k to go. So it's not like you're not, you, you, you're getting there, but you're not there. Like there's a couple, you know, two and a half hours. A mutual low light then. What about your highlight? I personally loved rolling in here. It was a really cool feeling, that feeling, that elation of like it's done. And the night sort of opened up. It's a really beautiful night. And it's a really lovely town, about 10 pubs in here. It's ridiculous. Per capita, this would have to be most, most pubs in the world I think unbelievable yeah. I need to move up here and just sort of do my own pub crawls here weekly but I think I think 90% of them are closed but yeah I think that you f- you sort of you know call it euphoric feeling when you're like you're there and you're like oh, thank the lord so what's yours you can't follow me again ah, that was a good one um, a highlight like look I think there was some stretches of road out near your place that like some of those climbs despite they were you know being hard the landscape and the roads were, were it was pretty epic it was really beautiful so um and i was still pretty fresh then you know so i think i was fresh i was like pretty energized and yeah i was in a good headspace god's country there mate mm. land vegas you gotta i'll look for a property for you mate they're going quick i'm pretty sure you work for the tourism office there because yeah you're always spooking but uh, well, it was beautiful it was it was really like it was nice man Day one, two more to come, 300 tomorrow. Let's not talk about it just yet. Let's go inside, get some dinner, and get a cold beer. (laughs) It feels good to be horizontal. (laughs) It does feel good to be horizontal, Pat. Mate, we're back in the room. It was a big day. I thought about talking to you out on the road, but I like this setting a lot better. Because we can just sort of relax. And I guess for all listeners out there, but also for me, to sort of go back to the beginning, I guess, and find out a little bit more about who Pat Drapak is, who Rick Drapak is, Mm. Ricardo. Scary question. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, we've got to go right back. Like when we sort of first crossed paths, but you were riding bikes before that. Let's just understand how you got into cycling full stop you know like back in the day the old the old question that we've answered a million times Mm. i started the brunswick velodrome obviously you know way back in i think 1995 was it yeah how old were you then i was four yeah i guess like as a family went down to the brunswick clinic you know as you did and you you sort of tried to find the best bike you could in the locker and like lots of fond memories it took me about three years to actually learn how to overtake people <laughs> around the track. I was a chronic undertaker. Oh, right. Yeah. But I think Massive I, no-no I, on the velodrome. I know. Your dad wanted to get you down there, or was it just, you know, your, your older brother, Damion, and, um, you know, Jules, your younger brother. So, you all went down as a family, or Damion was already down there, or how did it all happen? Why, why cycling? I mean, I was so young that I don't exactly remember, but- um, dad was a sort of, you know, hobbyist cyclist and um, I think was one of those people that watched the Tour de France and saw Phil Anderson, you know, really sort of take take on the world stage and it's not like I, I didn't really have a choice. Yeah, I liked other sports too, but yeah, I'm really glad that he did. You know, not to say that I fell in love with it more than 
my other siblings, I did fall for the sport. I think we all did in our own way, but like a lot of my memories as a kid are like riding bikes, mm. racing bikes. You know, if you asked me as a as a as a young kid, it was the Tour de France and the Olympics. That was kind of the you know those those are the the absolute pinnacles, and obviously none of ne- neither of those happened. <laughs> but you know, mainly track and road, but road road BMXs, mountain bikes, sort of dipped the toe. Just to fast forward a, a few years, but especially when. I sort of started noticing your know, your family out at the Northern Combine, which is the was the road racing, and you guys used to come out and you know, especially you, yourself and your younger brother Jules, you guys were super small on these road bikes and doing the races, and just <laughs> like a a real sort of family just getting out there doing the racing. It was really cool to see. Um, your dad as well, very influ- influential at those times, and later on we can talk about that later. But especially mm-hmm. at the club scene, that that love for the riding. What was it like for you? Going out to those races and then I guess coming back to something that we discussed today out on the road, presenting that you're doing this sort of weird sport in Australia. And it's come a long way to today. But back then, you know, back in the day, it Mm. was weird. It was weird. I think it was like, it was incredibly niche. And, Mm. you know, trying to tell your mates at school that you race bikes. Did you care? It wasn't like, it wasn't like I was self-conscious or anything, but it didn't seem something to- to really sort of like celebrate. It's definitely evolved and changed. But at that time, I, I probably didn't care. I was sort of so passionate about racing and, and mm. riding. And, you know, on the, on the note of rocking up to, to sort of, you know, the Northern Combine and local crits and sort of being on these little peewee bikes, like I, I never, yeah, I haven't really paid it much thought. But, you know, I was racing older riders mm. and was probably way out of my depth, but I think it I think it really fast tracked a lot of my learning mm. and that to me was normal. Riding with and racing with people like yourself and obviously, you know, being in a different league. But yeah, it was it was just normal. I think I don't know. It's like dad threw us in the deep end or what something. A, what about your dad? Was there pressure from your dad? What sort of angle was your dad taking at that point? You know, my mum and dad my dad rode casually but I played cricket and um, rugby. And so cycling was a new sport that they didn't really have a connection to. And I sort of loved it because, you know, no one had done it before and it was sort of my own. But what about for you guys? I think we were all figuring it out on the run. There's no real pressure. It was just sort of like, let's sort of, you know, for instance, go to Bright. And I think for those uh, who, I mean, I guess most people in in Australia would be familiar with Bright as a a cycling mecca. But I mean, I remember my little brother, Jules, climbing mount buffalo when he was eight and that so was you're sort of all learning it together yeah, yeah totally and we were like that's that's normal that's like that's not that far-fetched but i mean i think about that now and i'm like that was crazy you know yeah lots of fun memories well let's fast forward then to you know the the beginning of drapak you know your surname drapak but the drapak team very pinnacle in australian cycling and it became you know pretty pinnacle at the top tier you know when Drapak became the sponsor of my old team, um, EF, which at that time was called Cannondale Drapak. Um, you're sort of your dad's goal to get a team into the Tour de France. Um, and I remember hearing this, oh, I think I was at the Wangaratta Victorian Championships and you, you didn't know your dad that well and came up to me and my, my parents and presented this idea. You know, I'm going to start this team. I want Mitch involved and go, go to the Tour de France. <laughs> you know, I was like in under 19 or I was whatever, I was 17, 18 years old. And I'm like, what is this idea? <laughs> I want to be involved. And then we've seen the evolution of that over the years. And tell me about, from what you know, how this sort of all came about and 
this idea and when you started hearing about it as a kid and this is what you wanted, was it something that your dad always wanted or how did this whole thing come about? I think partially it was to support us, of course, but I mean, it was, yeah, pretty ambitious talking to a, to a young Mitch Docker saying <laughs> that, you know, one day you're going to ride the Tour de France for, for our team. And at that point, I think we were, you know, no more than a bike shop team. It was ambitious to say the least. The, the sort of ethos around Drapak was, you know, try and develop people beyond, you know, the racer. I don't know, at the time, perhaps it was, uh, it was probably a bit early in terms of, ahead, you know, I, I, I think it's fair to say it, yeah, it was ahead it was. of its time. And in some respects, you know, look, I think people will have their own versions and opinions of, of what the team was, but it was ahead of its time and, and, and cutting edge in, mm. in many respects. And I think like you go in to a sport and you're kind of all in and mm. you, you're obviously trying to master that, that craft. Cycling is a, so time consuming, more so than a lot of sports, but I think at the neglect of, you know, just developing yourself mm. and, and, and having other interests and doing other things. And I think, you know, look, I think it's a, maybe a little um, naive to think that everyone can go off and, and have a job and, or, or study or, but I think like what we're, what we're seeing is that like riders and athletes post career, they're definitely struggling because mm. they haven't developed certain life skills. Certain I life think, skills. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Totally. Where'd you sit in the program then? You know, you came in, program, the team, you know, the, the Drapak team. Eventually, when you were old enough and strong enough, you came into the team, mm-hmm. you raced. What was your experience in the team? I was in the team, I think, in, like, sorry, 2009 or to 2011, maybe. So I was a 18, 19-year-old. At that point, I was kind of struggling with motivation and, and my own identity, to be honest, like despite really uh, praising what the team was doing, I was, I was personally mm. struggling. And I think that, you know, maybe speaks to, you know, we all develop and we all mature at different, different points, but I'd done a lot of racing and cycling for so many years. Mm. Um, and I think I was just actually, you know, developing other interests and transitioning out of the sport. Like mm. it was almost like by the time I was in the team, I was re- ready, <laughs> to, ready, to, ready to move on. But yeah. Look, I, I felt really connected to the team anyway, like, you know, just mm. by association. So, you know, I did some overseas racing and, you know, back then I was uh, very prevalent on the track. And I think my relationship with cycling at that point wasn't as healthy as it is, say, mm. now. Well, tell me then, like you said then, it's, it's fast forwarding a few more years now, you started your own business, Pat's Veg, fermenting. You can tell me a bit more about it, but fermenting... Um, foods and it was great it was so sad it's not around anymore because you know there was some amazing crowds and mm-hmm. things you were doing there thank you but on the back of that you decided to start your own team too tell me a little bit about the i guess that next step because i'm probably missing a few years there but mm-hmm. from what i remember when pat's veg came about and that idea and then which where it led into the team you know to, to start your own team with with a bit of a similar ethos i started pat's veg 2012 a year after sort of stepping away from Drapak. To- totally. Mm. You know, I didn't wait around. Tell us about the business. It was a, I was young. I would have been 21, but I had like, you know, classic story. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> like I had no idea, but I knew that there was this kind of like need for, you know, products like this. Fast forward to now, obviously fermented foods have been around in various cultures forever, but 
I guess in our market closer to home, there wasn't much there mm. um, for a bunch of reasons. You knew that there was going to be a sort of a, a boom in this market. I mean, more than that, like as a as a sort of health food product, it, there was just a like it's just an awesome food. You know, like thin just to have on hand. You know, you're you were an avid avid eater, but I I think what what, what were the products just for people to know you had? I kind of like basically were I was I was fermenting main, mainly sort of sauerkrauts, kimchi, vegetable. What about fermentation the, and pickles and what about the potion? Oh yeah, the the brine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, <laughs> the rocket look, fuel. I think I cop some pretty strange looks trying to sell this stuff at farmers markets, and yeah. you know, like I love the brine. It was an interesting time because I was experimenting well, a lot, and then I had to try and convince people to buy it. But you know, I what was it? It was essentially just a, a byproduct of the the crowds, you know. <laughs> but that was it was so flavorful and like has so many amazing properties but i started the business um and put all my energy into that and that was really cool because you know it felt like some real world stuff but i've loved cooking and love love food forever um and i find like that's a big part of my identity but yeah the business was like it was a great learning curve and i made heaps of mistakes and a bit of a classic story i guess but managed to produce a really sick product mm. in the end the funniest thing about it was that I, I think, you know, six years in, once I'd nailed the product, I like shut it down. It was kind of my baby. And despite having, you know, some, some sort of offers on the table, I needed to, I needed to kill it. So why? But, uh, you know, like it, it ran its course and six years- it Ran was, its course with you as well? Yeah, totally. Like personally, it's hard work. Like food's hard. You Consumed know? you? Yeah, completely. Mm. Um, but, but, but I guess to- Somewhere in in between all of that, we, you know, I started Patsvedge Cycling. That underwent like its own sort of evolution from a bunch of friends to something slightly more serious, but, you know, ultimately had a really awesome culture. And mm. I was really like, we were really proud of what we did with the team. Um, you know, we, at times with not a lot and it was, it was. Why did you want to get back into it? Why did you think, you know what, I really want to do this again. I really want to get the team going. I really want to get back involved. and Just to feel, I guess, connected to the sport. Did you miss it in those years? Hell yeah. I mean, look, I've always kept in touch with riding and and racing. And I mean, very sporadically, but I missed it. I didn't want to have a real serious outfit. I thought we could do it a little lo-fi, piggybacked off Drapak and... And after all that, we became the, the development team for Drapak. Mm. And uh, in the end, Drapak and Patsvedge merged as well, which was sort of really fitting. But uh, Sit down at the table with your dad at a business meeting and talk about the merger. Pretty, pretty much, <laughs> a big, big merger. Look, it, was, it seemed really like it was easy. There was, that, that was a natural, yeah, nice. really natural move. I'm wondering now, I could be wrong, but is it just your like just talking to you over the last day and understanding, thinking it's reminding me a lot of, you know, when we're down the track and doing and doing Madisons together and just your real love for racing and you know, you you love your criteriums. You love that being in the moment. We're talking about how things are drifting today to justifying your ride by the power you put out. It's just like you don't ride with any power meter, no speedo, no nothing. And you get in the race and you just race. You race to win. And I'm sort of thinking then about the team. It's like, look, I want to get back into the racing. I don't want to just create a team to go cruising around and riding. It's like, let's, let's create a racing team. I miss the racing. Totally. I think you, you hit it on the head. Like in that moment, I got to, you know, my brother 
Duda was involved and I guess it really bonded us mm. in that moment, which was which was really cool. And like as a, you know, call us managers of the team, you know, we, we were complimentary, you know. He sort of hustled and got a bit more done, but I don't know what I did. I did something. <laughs> it's funny. It's like, yeah, I love racing and mm. I think personally I love to, to pin a number on and, and sort of throw a leg over, but you know that that wasn't wasn't a complete completely like a results based operation. Of course, I want to win. We all want to win, but mm. like maybe going back, you know, if the culture's right, we can get the best of out of everyone and and therefore get some results. It spanned over a few, like almost what four or five years, so it did definitely changed and and evolved in its own way. But it was cool, like to get out there with friends, go race a bike, just sort of like debrief and talk shit and. It's a cliche, but have fun. That was it. Everyone has their own personal ambitions on the bike, but you know, I think as a as a unit, like at that time, the team was I don't know, it just gelled, and it's it maybe hard to sort of sometimes put into words why why these things seemingly work. But from from a personal standpoint, it was really lovely just to to be back involved, and yeah, it just sort of changed my trajectory with bike racing. Five oh four in the morning, mate. Um, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting, isn't it? We're just um, recalibrating. On out of ten, I would say I'm a, I'm feeling about a a four. <laughs> What's our plan of attack? Oh, uh, we're gonna try and try and get out of here uh, asap and beat the heat. We've got about three hundred k to do, but we've got a downhill start. But yeah, we just want to get a bit ahead today, so hence the early early start, but just, just sort of chug along, slow and steady. Slow and steady wins the race. Well, Pat, we're well and truly on our way. We've done about 80K now. It is 8.30 in the morning. It's been a bit of a glorious start today, hasn't it? You know, we started with a bit of a... A downhill and you know slight cross tail and the weather the you know it's just been it's been relatively easy we would say an easy 80. Where are we heading towards now like what's our plan today? So we're about 20k out of uh, our first stop uh, in Waraknabil, Warakas, um, where we'll fuel up. I think that's going to be one of our last spots to to do so because i think the next town's 150 past them but yeah so far so good and we've been just sort of chatting nutrition actually and i think the angle not that we're going to get too in depth into it but is i guess give everyone a bit of an idea on these kinds of adventures and long sort of days what does the fueling really look like um i mean look you kind of you eat what you have available to you right but we were sort of discussing how you at times you want to eat real food despite this sort of uh you know smashing yourself with simple carbs and and sugars for me personally like i want like food that i'm familiar with that's not gonna like mess my gut up you get what you take what you can get um shit like i was craving just like vegetables yesterday you know which sounds pretty weird lots of salt because i was completely buckled but um you know, my, my take is that I want familiar food, I just want real food. Less packaged shit, the better. 
what about now getting into sort of like your day-to-day thought, you know, like when you're out here on the road, you're like, okay, I need to get so many fluids in. Last night was really good. We really rehydrated. You had some potassium and magnesium tablets that we had to sort of get that important electrolytes back in. I guess from your knowledge and your your time riding over the years, what do you sort of fall back to in your mind? You're like, okay, this is really important to get through these big days. You can also kind of do makeshift versions of that, you know, get some coconut water, which will have a, a bunch of potassium and and, and, some, and some salt and, you know, you've got a pretty good electrolyte mix there. I mean, judging by how much we sweated, like that was priority number one. Um, look, for me, it's kind of just eating some complex foods as well. Like we, we tucked into a nice steak and veggies and, you know, that was like exactly what I needed, you know. Maybe like a dietitian might say otherwise, but like it was really, it was just comfort. We had a scratch protein drink with the probiotics, you know, so we're trying to, trying to look after the gut. You know, I, I don't like pop, I don't want to pop too many tablets. I guess you can kind of like source and derive a lot of this stuff from real foods and, and things on the market. But um, in this context, like gels and ex- like very kind of refined bars are just kind of not worth it. Like you, you, you kind of, in, in my mind, I would use a gel in the context of a race or if I was super desperate and there wasn't anything available. But I just kind of think it's a, it's just junk calories uh, as well. You talk about junk and things like that. People are probably wondering, what is, what is junk? You know, you're telling me gels are junk and you know, the processed food's junk. But look, to make things easier on your body and when you're out here putting that much stress on your body anyway, to give it something natural, as natural as you can, and as easily sort of digestible and sort of, I guess, getting it back to the real food. Like we're not in a race situation. We can afford to have that bit more time, you know, digesting a good piece of, a good natural whatever it is, opposed to jamming in a gel in the moment in a race. So that's what I sort of gathered out here and that's what it is. You know, we've got time to stop and eat. Yeah, a, a nice dinner and a nice lunch and things like that. So at the end of the day, it's, I think coming back to what you really crave and listening to your body. Well, just rolled through Jeparit. It looks like it's probably the last town that we're gonna reach or go through until we get to our final destination today, Keith. We've got 160 to go. We've done uh, 140. We just ran into a little bit of uh, problems. Everything was smooth sailing. We're on nice gravel roads. Weather was good. Weather gods were being kind. Bit of a push behind from the wind. But then we're <laughs> looking at your bike now. It's ridiculous. It all can happen so quickly, Pat, can't it? What happened? Well, we were on a like a gravel, well, this little gravel stretch, which was completely dried out. But there was one little uh, sector which was just complete deep sludge, and we both nearly ate it hard. Um, you can't see our bikes, but they're they're completely clogged, and I'm still got that dirt that's like flicking off the flicking off the tires into the face. So that's been going on the last 10k. I don't know. It's a bit of a heart bit of a heart starter. Bit of a heart starter. Well, the thing is, you've come in road shoes, and it was one of those sort of mud piles where it looked like a bit of water on the right, 
dried out on the left, so we took the left side, but actually it was that fake dried out. It was super soft, it was quicksand. I stepped off, I was in the gravel shoes so I could still clip in, but we stopped and sort of stole someone's front water tap and just cleaned ourselves up sort of 10K after. So we're back on the road. Yeah. Been a nice day so far. Pat, just like yesterday, mate, about four o'clock, it starts to get really hard. The sun, I don't know, it just gets really hot. And I think, obviously the fatigue builds up. We've got like 45K to go. I can, I know we're close, but I can't feel it yet. Mm, inevitably hit these like open, exposed roads and the temperature's at its highest. So, you know, up against it. But I think the biggest point is that we're cooked, you know, 250K in and you know, we had a little, uh, a few interesting segments. We had sort of swamp, we had paddock, we rode along a, like a field, like an agricultural field. That was sort of some sort of like, it looked like cabbage leaves actually. Um, and some quicksand. So yeah, lots of mud and like, I, I, I sort of had my, look, I had some demon periods back there and I didn't have to say anything because you already knew, but yeah, home stretch. Nonetheless, it's a, still a, feels like a long way to go. Well, randomly there's a car passing us. I haven't seen a car all day. And as soon as I pull the mic out, there's a car. And he's got South Australian plates on. So we must have crossed the border and that means We've miraculously gained half an hour, so we're ahead of schedule. We're gonna get in at maybe six. We're gonna have time for like a frosty shower, relax. It's exciting, let's let's build the morale on the way in. Should be downhill on the way in too. And that's, that's all we're celebrating, I think. Um, small victories, small victories. All right, Paddy. Mate, we're out in the back of this motel, enjoying a cold beer freeballing excuse everyone because it has been very hard on the points of contact hand and ass my bottom is very sore and my hands are very sore it's good to get in though i feel really good especially after a beer just to take the edge off but it was a tough day today mate not a lot of climbing um very hot that time after two o'clock it just kicks in like i was feeling really good till then and then Especially that last hour, really, the fatigue and the heat and and as you said as we rolled in, always feels good completing a ride. Doesn't matter how long it is, how big, whatever, it's just that, that last sort of K when you know you've done it. Tell me about your day, mate. Pretty good synopsis, Mitch. Um, I think we, we had a bit of everything today. I mean, I was proud that we took off on time. Like, that's, that's a difficult thing for me to hit the depart time. We were pretty much on the dot, 5.30. It's kind of like a weird, eerie, beautiful time to ride a bike through uh, a country town and then country roads. It's so still. It was very still today. So it started well. And we had that little, you know, cross tail just to push us along, which, you know, I'm not going to deny that was, that was necessary. I think early in the morning when you're like kind of figuring out where your body's at and your head, you're like, you just need a little bit of a, a helping hand. The, the day on a whole was hard. 
There's not many 300k days that you do that aren't hard. But for me personally, first half was kind of relatively easy, mentally and physically. Once we went into that, like, you know, we started to hit the slush and the proper gravel and the, the paddock, I was just very, I, I went very inward. I was definitely dealing with my demons at that point. And then it starts to get hot and you're like, you know, you're getting more tired. And all of a sudden you're like walking your bike and you're like, this sucks. Like, I just want to ride this thing. And I think what I realized was that I'm not very good riding through sand either. I was like, I just, I'm so bad at this. I had a few little realizations, but yeah, you made a really good call um, suggesting we we pull 5k turns as well on those really um, dead kind of like open roads and that kind of I think that mentally brought me back but look on a whole yeah super hard day but very satisfied right now it was very rewarding um and look, I'll just quickly run through the stats. It was 302k today. It was no climbing at all, 400, 400 metres of climbing. And we only, we're only 10 hours. We're only six minutes behind yesterday. We really cranked along at 29k an hour. It's so weird because at times we were walking and we were doing 10k an hour through like this, just like you said, a paddock, overgrown paddock. And I was like, watch out for snakes. There's going to be snakes. And there was snakes in there, I'm sure of it. It was a really mixed, real mixed bag day today. Fast sections super slow sections bogged getting our fingers in between the tire to clean them out like peanut butter mud and then just sand corrugated roads like it was it was everything i guess we hit you with it highs and lows mate i think the low was when when i my my foot went like beneath the mud and i had my road shoes on so i was like you know full noob at the moment and like couldn't click my put my feet my you know my pedals back in but that whole period with the walking and being frustrated then yeah having my feet just almost like shin deep in the mud I was like yeah I was like what the hell am I doing here kind of had those those thoughts I was like I could not be doing this um low point for me (laughs) uh high I think I don't know. I think it was that maybe that like post lunch, we were 200k in, and we sat on the side of the road. And it was real hot. We had 100k left, and rather than kind of just slowly easing into it, I think you kind of made that made the call and to to do the turns. And that mentally just like put me in a different different headspace. I felt really good. I was like, I wanted to race. So I think you you kind of brought me out of the hole. Oh, I noticed that. I certainly noticed it. I regretted it because you were putting... I wasn't getting any rest. I was doing a hard turn and I was sitting in your wheel not getting any rest. It was it was hell. It's potentially my low point. You know, actually, it probably... It really was my low point. I did love doing the, the turns because it really chipped away at 5K turns. Next thing you know, we had 30K done, three turns each. It was so simple. But... I went from being in a really good spot through all the, the gravel and the, and, the, and the mud and everything to suddenly being like, oh, this is just hurting. I'm not enjoying this. In the back of my mind, I was like, just keep quiet because the Ks are ticking away um, and the heat was coming. And I think we discussed this too. It's sort of weird. It doesn't matter how far it is. If it was 260, if it was 100, if it was 400, all of a sudden when you think you're almost there, when it's like 20, 40K to go, you start to let the guard down. You start to go... 
oh, I'm almost there. Oh, I want to be there. And you start to hurt all of a sudden. Um, my high point was was rolling out. I enjoyed rolling out this morning. It was really cool. It was, it was just like, it wasn't freezing, but it was crisp in the air. And, we, and it was a downhill start. And I just felt like we got away on the right foot. The speed was up. The light, the sun was coming up. It was just like, wow, this is awesome. I felt like crap in the, at the hotel, but in the motel. But already like 10 minutes into it, I was like, yeah, this is, this is actually where, exactly where I want to be. All right, let's go get some dinner. Let's go get a cold beer. So, Paddy, this seemed like a good idea last night. All of a sudden, recording a podcast at 9.30 at night is all very hard at the moment, isn't it? After two days in the saddle. I was really hoping that you wouldn't want to do this. <laughs> but he's a professional. Let's pick up where we were chatting about last night. We talked about sort of Pat's Veg, you know, mm-hmm. sort of the end of Pat's Veg. And I guess mm-hmm. that next phase, um, for me anyway, there was definitely a, a period of sort of loss. You know, I didn't really know where you were, what you were doing. When you were always connected to cycling, I sort of had a, I was in touch with you a bit and I sort of heard around what you were doing and popped in at Pat's Veg. But then there was this period of, you know, you sort of, I wouldn't say in my eyes anyway, disappeared a bit. Tell me a little bit about what you're up to post Pat's Veg. When I parted with it, I was, at the time, the natural thing to do was just run away from from everything. Mm. Um, And I ended up moving to Copenhagen um, where I started to cook reignited that hobby job i guess at the time i just wanted to get the hell out of melbourne almost just detach from what life was for so many years and yeah it was a big breakup of sorts had you shift before or why copenhagen as well i had worked in hospitality i did a little bit of cooking as a like teenager started a at a restaurant in God, I must have been 17 or 18. And to be completely honest, I was like, I had a quick realization that cooking and chefing was kind of hard. Like, What was the restaurant? At La Luna. Oh, was it? Yeah. One and of your dad's favorite places? It was one of dad's favorite places. And cooking is a, is, a, is a romantic thing or being a chef, I think. But the reality is it, it sort of sucks. I basically, you know, I love it. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to retract. But from Denmark, I kind of basically, you know, went full steam into cooking and worked at you know a bunch of different restaurants back in melbourne and and eventually up in the northern rivers and kind of just really fell into it the fermenting was a bit of a like a segue it was always going to be cooking why copenhagen though why denmark oh at that time i think just you know you have any connections there or what not at all it was a it was it was a food mecca it's a relatively small city but like packed a punch in terms of just like cutting edge food or at least you know at the time that's what i that's what i kind of felt sort of simultaneously in that part of the world there was a lot happening in fermentation and i guess fermentation started to really filter into into gastronomy and my skill sets all of a sudden Mm. were i guess in demand i can tell you what happened i visited copenhagen a few years earlier with a name you would be familiar with, Tom Palmer, mm. old blast from the past. Rode on Drapak, yeah, great Drapak, rider, yeah. Great, great rider, person, um, and we were cruising around, driving 
around Northern Europe. And then, uh, yeah, I was like, man, I think I'm going to move here one day. Um, I, think I love that thought when you're traveling around Europe, you're like, I could live in this place. Yeah. You know? That's a classic, isn't yeah. it? The cliche. You're like, I could live here. You're yeah, like, you're on holiday in summer and yeah. it's beautiful. And Was it everything you thought? More or less? No, hell no. It was, it was just like, all right, shit, I got to not. I mean, the language isn't really a, a barrier because everyone speaks English. And also in food, like, I guess the ads for restaurants and cafes required English speaking. So mm. you didn't need, I didn't need to speak Danish. Um, probably should have tried to, to learn it. But it was hard, you know, like mm. just the funny little things. Like I guess there were these, um, you know, for instance, like trying to find a rental, the easiest way to do it and probably the only way to do it is through Facebook. I didn't even have Facebook and mm. I was like, shit, all right. So I sort of had to like figure it out on my own. I literally had no links there. Yeah, you know, got a job within a couple of weeks, you know, a place to live, etc. Didn't have any money, but it was just like, you know, I guess that's when when you need to kind of make it work. You're like, all right, oh. I gotta I actually gotta do this, and it was a good just just a good little life experience. What brought you back? Unfortunately, my brother passing, so that happened. I went back. My visa was running out, and then you know, COVID. I guess like a few different a few different reasons. You mentioned Damien's passing, your mm-hmm. brother, um, tragically was, was killed out riding. It's something that you guys grew up. We spoke about that last night. How did that affect you and that time in Denmark, you know, a lot of riding over there and you, you stepped away from having your own team and then you came back for this, your, your brother's passing away on a bike, you know, something you guys love to do. How's that affected your riding, you know, in those years? I really struggled to, to reason with it and, and then... I really struggled to want to ride a bike. I was so, so put off everything about cycling. I remember, you know, I guess at the time I just thought, I mean, you know, it wasn't fair. I guess there's a lot of unfair things that happen to people. But for me, it was this shared interest and and kind of passion that we had and which he'd also, I guess to sort of rewind a bit, he really inspired me to... Or just encouraged me, sorry. He just encouraged me a lot to, to keep riding. Mm. Like he was one of the sort of the major like driving forces behind me mm. just riding and racing and just he sort of like would always try and include me. And Was it healthy me. competition and sort of like, you know, little brother thing? Like you're not going to keep up or was always encouraging, you know? Oh, I was so much competition. He was so, <laughs> so <laughs> He was. So far. I remember <laughs> being in like a, we were in like a Northern Combine club series and- we attacked piercing down and we attacked like from the gun and stayed away and we were like a minute up the road and it was so dangerous and technical. In the final lap, he just fully whacked me as hard as- You're like, what are you doing? We're together. I was like, what are you doing? I'll let you win. You know, like, you know, and that was just to have the sort of, to have one up. I think it would be, it'd be strange if there wasn't some kind of rivalry. Yeah. Look, but that, but that aside, it was more like, you know, upon, upon reflection, I kind of remember- Many instances where he sort of was like, you should, you know, just, you know, just come race or come do this. And it was one of the big reasons why I'm still probably still riding, you know? Mm. Yeah. Grateful for that. Tell me about this, this trip, you know, and I don't know if it's got you know, much correlation to what we were just talking about, but this trip up to Byron Bay and this, I love this story because it's sort of set up this new phase of your life. And again, this just idea of just like, I'm just going to jump on a bike and just ride somewhere and then tell me the story and ending up there and just, I love this, you know, heading up to Byron Bay. You know, I was, I guess at the time I was, it was sort of, I can't remember the exact COVID lockdown, but, Mm. you know, we were sort of in between one of those 
I was working in a restaurant and just, you know, not not necessarily hating life, but it was just in a rut. I was in a rut and getting a bit getting a bit worn worn down. And what better way to to sort of get out of of a rut than and you know go for a bike ride? I guess so. <laughs> a friend and I, Louis, we spontaneously quit our jobs and decided to go for a bike ride. Um, I guess a little a little bit of a an extra bit to the ride or the reason for the ride was um, I was connected to one of the the sort of local teams at the time and um, cycle team cycle house and they they were going to do the tour of Brisbane like an NRS race and there was just available spots and you know mind you I hadn't touched a bike in a while which sort, sort of um, I guess it was June-ish and um, basically I said stuff at all basically right up there Melbourne um, to Brisbane Melbourne to Brisbane so about 2000k it's about 2000k just do your whole pre-season in, in a couple of weeks exactly so i'll do my training along the along the way nice. and it was uh you know it was winter and you know I'd, it'll get warmer as you go you know as we we're on the road the team pulled out of the race and i'm like shit what are we gonna do and we were camping and it was you know through canberra and freezing and we we're like stuff it let's just keep going you know we'll just we'll just do it and then all of a sudden Byron Bay started to become this for some reason started to filter into the into the dialogue and we're like, Oh, Byron's pretty cool, you know. It's a bit happening there. It's a bit shorter. It's a bit shorter, you know. What is it about? It's like five hundred K shorter or something, or I don't know, uh, less three hundred. Less, less, yeah. Three hundred, yeah. So two hundred maybe. Yeah, we pushed on and and funnily enough, we kept riding as if we, we had to meet the deadline. So we kind of you know, we were on these absolute pieces of junk. Yeah, so we learned a lot. What happened to Louis? Because from what I understand, when you got there, you just stayed there. Yeah, we we basically both stayed. For, well, I stayed for like a year and a half. Yeah. Obviously, getting around there without a car is is a pain. We didn't have any clothes. We didn't have anything. Neither of us, again, didn't have any money. We had this romantic idea of, of sort of <laughs> living there. But, you know, you got to find a place and, and find a room and... We both just started working in, uh, I, I took a, a job at a restaurant and Louis worked at this um, iconic petrol station in Bangalore, <laughs> which, uh, you know, they used to fill your tank up. So there were, were Bowser boys essentially. <laughs> yeah, so nice. For me, like thinking about that was a bike ride turned into a, a whole new life trajectory mm. and met my fiance. Mm. So, you know, I went for a bike ride and- it's funny how it all come back and happens, yeah, yeah, it was all, it was all worthwhile. We're fast forwarding a bit more now, but I really want to talk about what is going on right now and Team Duda. And this is exciting. And we, this is sort of how we reconnected again. You sort of gave me a call out of the blue. Um, it's always great to catch up, but you know, sometimes you need a reason um, and which was great. You know, you sort of said, I've got this idea about this team. Um, and it's, it's really cool. Explain what's going on now with Team Duda and, and sort of the, the idea behind this team. You're back in the game. I'm back in the game, yeah. Got some got some skin in the game. But um the team is of is named in honor of my of my brother. You know, his his nickname or I mean to me his real name was Duda. I barely knew his his actual name. Um, Where'd the nickname come from? I won't get this wrong, but he as a as a kid I think my parents someone said, What's your name? and he just started Duda. Saying Duda. So okay. I think that was the um that cool. was the story. But you know, we he was always he was always Duda. So, well, firstly, uh, one of Duda's friends, Kerry, or a mutual friend of ours, well, together we kind of like founded the team, and just wanted to 
just get back in the game and, and do something. I don't know. Like, I just had this sort of little itch to get back into into cycling. But also, the team wasn't really, maybe still isn't, but, like, clearly defined. You know, we're not this this team who are, who are out there trying to win NRS races or we're not a sort of a purely result sort of focused outfit. But, yeah, we just wanted to do something to honour him and mm. and kind of, like, race and ride and in the sort of in the spirit that he that he did so mm. which was like he was he was pretty crazy in in many ways it's a it's a new project it's almost a bit of a an evolution of drapak and pat's veg as mm. well in just a new new form we've got some awesome sponsors i hate to overuse the word organic but it was just it was really organic like everyone that we you know like yourself people that we contacted they wanted really to be involved yeah, yeah they really wanted to be involved and i think that was yeah, it was. It wasn't like it was surprising, but it was just a bit like it was. Yeah, it was really cool. What's it done to you personally? I guess at that time when we when I first um, reached out, I wasn't riding at all. Again, just on the on the work train and didn't have this sort of drive to to be you know to be really immersed. Mm. Despite obviously wanting to start the team, I just think it was. Yeah, I wasn't quite there yet. But yeah, I think I think that the team and the culture and. Yeah, just the the sort of dynamics. It just really has really inspired me to to do more. I don't want to get too far ahead, but I mean, for me to string all three and a half months of riding together is like some kind of miracle. <laughs> On a personal level, it's like it's really nice to to sort of get motivated and race and be fit. There's nothing like official in terms of how we structure the the roster, but younger people and and some older, been there, done that people. And people like yourself who are just a wealth of knowledge and it's just really evolved and continuously evolving into something really cool. It's almost 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Should we get ready for bed? We have to sleep. We're so cooked. You know, you're so tired. You're so tired. You're like, there's nothing else that can happen apart from passing out. The uh, fatigue levels are quite real this morning aren't they they're probably times about a thousand i mean compared to yesterday today was like a instant like groaning wake up <laughs> definitely the alarm was like you got no way this cannot be real but just more like sore arms you know that you're in trouble when you've got sore arms from riding a bike <laughs> yeah it was uh, a bit harder to get up today this question start running through your mind, like, why, why are we doing this? Why did we choose 300k? Why not just add an extra day in? Alright, we'll be all over and about. This time in 12 hours, we'll be close to being over. Alright, about 80k in. It's been a bit of a peaceful morning, nice start. Always nice starting early in the morning. Um, but just talking to Pat, we realized we did lose a bit of time because pulled up and we had a drink and had a bit of a rest. And then it was just before this full drive track. And then we just started venturing down this full drive track, Paddy, and what happened? Pretty, pretty deep, thick sand, which, you know, has not been the kindest to me yet, but we tried to sort of push through this sand and you were you were riding it at, at walking speed and I was walking it at, you know, crawling speed. So we had to 
make the make the call to backtrack and reroute a little bit because it, like we would have been out there for hours on that little stretch so I'm really happy but we lost a bit of time it's got that got that kind of feel about it well given it was about 50k into the ride we sort of just went hang on let's do the mass here it looks like about 15k of this shivers we still got 250 in front of us so look we did a bit of a reroute took a bit longer when you think of it like that but I think we saved time in the long run we're just about to hit the coast I said to Pat it's probably our last bit of little help from the wind and then uh, 5k turns here we go Patty we're in Wellington and we're on the ferry we have to get a little ferry across to the Barossa 100k to go it should be I don't know somewhat the outskirts of Adelaide the last 100k was just I know the wind picked up and it's been hellish probably the last 50 let's be real like it was a headwind wasn't it the hardest bit about this is like it's completely exposed dead roads hot as hell tight legs but feels like my skin's bubbling but um you know hundreds ago feels like on one hand it's the home stretch but a serious slog isn't it weird like on something like this you get to 100 to go or 100k and you can sort of like start calling it in Yet if we'd been out here today, you know, whatever it is, 36, 37 degrees, probably warmer. It feels much warmer. And someone said to you, mate, you want to ride the last 100k in Adelaide? You'd be like, hell no, I'm not doing that. What about your mentality now? Like what's, your, what's happening in your head now, sort of at the end of this, coming to the last part of the journey? I guess we're not close enough to start calling it a day yet, are we? Not quite, not quite. I think mentally I've been doing hundreds at a time, but so this is another milestone. Um, but I know we've got all these, these hills at the back of Adelaide that we, we need to deal with. So to be honest, I think my, my head is hopeful of no cramp. So I really want to avoid cramp and um, probably last, what, 30, 40, can start to sort of see the finish line. But I'm not there yet, by no means. Are you, are you there yet? I'm happy to be on this. This was a real big sort of milestone for me on this ferry and get across to the, the Barossa and, in the, and sort of feel some civilization because the last, like you said, the last 100k on those roads have been just open, barren roads. Um, I'm not done. I'd love to find a pub at about 40, 30k to go and grab a cold one and just sort of go, mate, I think we can coast in from here. Well, Pat, we finally got here into the hills and a little bit of respite from the sun. We're in the trees, but yeah, the hills are hard. But it's just a bit nicer, isn't it? Just to change things up. The last, the last couple of hours have been bloody tough. You know, I think that Princess Highway stretch was mind-numbing and, you know, no shoulder or very little shoulder, windy, etc. But, yeah, um, who would have thought some tree-lined bergs would, would be the respite? But, yeah, it's just... The exposed sun was the real killer for me. I was cooking, so still am cooking. Not there actually, I just had a, yeah. Almost had a sensation like it was over at the top here, but we've got about, what, 50K? Yeah. 50 to go, uh, pretty steep. Um, yep, yep, coming. <laughs> well, we're at Sterling and that was, was very solid, but, really nice like it was it was sort of really cool as I imagined 
rolling into the Adelaide Hills and just that suburbia and just a different sort of vibe to what we've been sort of used to. And that's the whole purpose of this ride was riding to Adelaide. And arriving here, you just feel the atmosphere as you come up through these great little villages, great roads. And now that's what we're here for, Tour Down Under. It's sort of a really cool, <laughs> very hard, but cool way to end. Pat, you sort of came good, didn't you? You could put it that way, but I think that it was a bit of a, ro- like such a big roller coaster for me today. I guess it could be a roller coaster for a bloody coffee shop ride, but you know, this was like a bit of everything. I was, I was suffering. Um, and, you know, I think just getting that little sniff of, of, of the end, like you said, sort of entering the outskirts, hitting some of those climbs, getting some shaded spots. I was like, okay, I can taste it now. Look, you nailed the route. It was an awesome ride. And, you know, I think what this ride sort of reiterates for me is to try and get off the the sort of the main highways uh, and the main thoroughfares. And I don't know, because even those little snippets that we had, they, you know, we were frustrated. We're frustrated by cars. And, you know, I think that's a big part of like, you know, adventure riding, bikepacking, and just should just be cycling, I guess, in general. But um, yeah, bit of a take home for me. Beers just got here, so. Well, yes, that's right. The beers have just arrived. Um, quick beer before we head down, descend 20k. Still 20k to go down into Adelaide, and then it is really done. We are tasting it, but it is not quite over. But yes, amazing to be here. Mate, that was very cool. We rolled in to the Specialize and map pop-up here on From Street in Adelaide. It's the vibes happening. We rolled straight in. There was pizzas. There was beers. Everything we could have hoped for. Look, we couldn't stay that long because all I need to do is get a shower. These nicks need to get off me as soon as possible. I'm going to talk about the trip. While I'm thinking about my high and low, run me through from Sterling down the hill your last sort of moments of the trip, mate. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but finishing, uh, you have that euphoric feeling. And you're like, thank God. Like, we weren't out of the woods yet because you were sort of on the, on the hunger flat down, like, through Stirling. But the festivities have definitely started in Adelaide, that's for sure. Those towns just before Stirling were, were pumping. I mean, it is Friday night, I, I, I later found out. But look, really, a comp, like, a, a sense of accomplishment, like, a, just a, just satisfied, I guess. And, I think that's what you, like, or most of us get out of a, a, a big ride, a big journey. Yeah, glad to have done it with good, you know, in good company. There was a lot of moments that we didn't speak and rode, you know, 100 meters apart. That was necessary. And then some really good conversation too. So, look, I think it was um, just a really awesome trip, you know, in summary. But, you know, I definitely need to have a shower because... Coming back into the sort of um, the public, I feel very self-conscious now and stink really bad. Mate, you wrapped it up. I don't think we need to do your high and low. It sounds like you sort of said that. I think, not to say so regimented, I think exactly what you said. The best thing for me was riding with you. And I really loved just doing it two up this year because I just thought it was going to be so hard that you didn't want to rely on anyone else but one other guy. I knew we'd have our hard moments. I knew we'd have our, well, our good moments. And you just want one guy. If you're feeling bad, you get on the wheel. If the other guy's feeling good, he's in front. So 
And I, honestly, I really wanted to reconnect with you. It's been too long, and you're such a good dude. So it was really. Likewise. Yeah. yeah. These trips are, you know, I think you remember forever. So thanks for inviting me. Also, just like it was such a such a good trip, uh, and I look forward to actually not riding tomorrow. Well, there we go, guys. We're back. Very exciting to be back. I hope you enjoyed that episode, our struggles across to Adelaide, and I hope it does inspire you to get out on the road and take on an adventure yourself. They really are more than just a bike ride. Very, very exciting to announce our new partnership with MAP, to have them on board. It's just going to be fun working with them. A big thanks, of course, to the Life in the Peloton team that make this whole thing come to life. And I am looking forward to having you all over at the Pelo. Whether you're in the front at the echelon or hanging on at the back in the doom line, it'd be great to have you on board at the Life in the Peloton Club. Guys, and until next week, I'm excited to be back. I'm Mitch Docker. Cheers. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.